Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. Warning! Binge Mode features adult content. Much like the show Game of Thrones, about which we are talking. If you watch Game of Thrones and you're fine with it, you'll probably be fine with this podcast. If not, the Ringer NBA show is very good. And now, Binge Mode. This Carl Drogo, it's said he has 100,000 men in his hold. Even a million Dothraki are no threat to the realm. As long as they remain on the other side of the narrow sea. They have no ships, Robert. He will not cross. There's a war coming, Ned. I don't know when, I don't know who we'll be fighting. But it's coming. Hello! Yeah. And welcome to Binge Mode, newest podcast from The Ringer. I'm Mallory Rubin, deputy editor of TheRinger.com. Joining me today, now that he's learned how to make a call happy, <laughs> it's Ringer staff writer and your maester, Jason Concepcion. It's just all about being a, a giving partner, caring about the needs of your partner. Got to be a selfless lover. And a lot of stallion style. Jason? Yes. Like so many of the characters on Game of Thrones, we are embarking on a long and potentially doomed journey, re-watching and deep diving into all six seasons of our favorite show. We're yeah. doing it one episode at a time. Those who fear spoilers should take caution because we will be going deep on details from the show and the books alike from this season and beyond. But expert warriors and those still using tourney swords are welcome here as we strap on our armor Soldier on to discuss season one, episode two, The King's Road. Jason. Yes. Before we ask Nymeria to help us with our packing, let's take a quick trip down our very own King's Road. Sure. Which we're doing each episode to offer a brief refresher on the key happenings in this installment, which as the name of this episode prepares us for, features a lot of movement, both literally yep. and metaphorically. In the east, Essos, the great Dothraki Sea, the grasslands where the Dothraki roam. Viserys is whining about his army. Where's my army? Danny, meanwhile, struggles to adjust to married life and learns some new sex techniques. Yeah, she does. Meanwhile, in the north at Winterfell, the seat of House Stark, Bran is in a coma after Jamie pushed him out of a window at the end of the series premiere. Most people... I think this yep. is an accident at this point in the story. Kat, Bran's mom, is understandably distraught. She refuses to leave his bedside for much of this episode. She also gives John major grief. She hates John. This, yeah, this she does. walking reminder of Ned's betrayal, right? In her mind, at least. And John, he's got other stuff on his mind other than than Kat's hatred. He's worried <laughs> about Bran, and he's also preparing to go to the Night's Watch, and so he's saying a farewell to Arya. They're close, and he gives her a gift that will be key throughout the series. Needle, her sword. Arya, with Needle in tow, and Sansa depart with Ned. They're joining their dad in King's Landing. Rob, he's staying behind at Winterfell, and he is taking on a more active leadership role, partially because he's now the, he's the man. Yep. He's the man of the house, and also because, again, Cat is 
basically catatonic and refusing to act. <laughs> catatonic. That's good. Because <laughs> her name's Cat. Yeah. That's funny. There is then another attempt on Bran's life. Mm-hmm. A armed assassin right. comes in and tries to take him out with a dagger. Cat and then Bran's dire wolf save his life. And this, this is what jumpstarts Cat back into action. She right. goes full sleuth detective emoji. Right. Why, finds, why, why is someone trying to, to snuff out right. what my happened child? Here? Maybe so, it yeah, wasn't an accident. There's Maybe something else going up. on. Yeah. And she, what does she find? She finds one blonde hair. Who could that be? blonde hair in the tower from which Bran fell. She shares her suspicions that the Lannisters were involved with Rob, Maester Lewin, Sir Roderick, and mistake here, Theon Greyjoy. There's no one more loyal than Theon Greyjoy. On the King's Road, moving south with Ned Stark, Sansa, Arya, and the royal family. Robert and Ned, now the hand of the king, are sharing a meal. They talk about the old days and ill tidings from Essos. Ned points out that the Dothraki, now supposedly allied with Viserys Targaryen, hate ships and large bodies of water. They've never been known to try and cross water. We're good, he tells Robert. Joffrey and Sansa go for a stroll down by the river. They come across Arya and her friend Micah the Butcher Boy fighting with wooden swords. Joff decides to be a bully to Micah. One thing leads to another, and it ends when... Arya's direwolf Nymeria leaps up to bite Joffrey and to defend her owner. Um, Arya shoos Nymeria away, knowing that this is going to mean her life. There's a big meaning about this incident. Ned, as recompense for the injury done to the prince, has to kill a direwolf, and he chooses Sansa's direwolf lady in place of Nymeria. Then later, the hound comes back to camp with Micah the Butcher Boy slung over his saddle like a deer. And finally, back in the north, on the King's Road, heading toward the wall where John intends to take the black. John and Tyrion, an unlikely pair, but they're bonding. They're yeah. bonding over, you know, the nature of life, yeah. really. Uh, John is distressed to discover that his fellow brothers will be uh, mostly criminals. Long rap sheets yeah. with these guys. <laughs> And Tyrion gives him a lot of counsel, and they discuss, you know, wine and books and swords yeah. and just just all of it, guys. All of the stuff in life. And all of that movement gets us right to this episode's big idea. So let's cut to the core of it. Let's stick it with the pointy end. The defining theme of this episode is transitioning and enhancing one's agency. King's Road sets the stage for a number of coming-of-age arcs, with many characters seeking to alter their circumstances by making a key choice. Just big picture here. Mm -hmm. When Kat gives Ned grief because he's about to depart with Robert, he says, I have no choice. And Kat says, that's what men always say when honor calls. That's what you tell your families, tell yourselves, you do have a choice, and you've made it. Here's the thing this is one of the few times that Kat is actually right. (laughs) Ned is making a choice. He made one, according to the show's timeline, 17 years ago when he chose to pretend that John was his bastard. Spoiler. Much much more on that coming soon, folks. Stay tuned. Spoiler. And he's making a choice again here now. Characters are bound by their sense of honor, but being bound by honor is its own kind of choice, and choice is 
everywhere in this episode. We see it with many, many key characters. Yeah, you you look at the way Kat um, responds to Ned leaving and then Bran's injury. Uh, she really kind of turns inward and really crumbles. And and Meister Lewin at one point is trying to uh, tally up the cost of of the king's visit because you know when the king comes with this whole household, you have to feed him, and it's an extremely expensive undertaking. And she just is not up to dealing with it as you know you would expect. And Rob steps up because mm-hmm. this is the thing that Rob has been trained for as the oldest Starks on the heir to Winterfell. He's been trained for this his whole life, and he steps up and he's like, you know, I, I'll take a look at it. I'll deal with all this stuff and it's just um you really see a lot about those characters in that moment having to deal with this new situation where ned is gone and everyone has to step up moves up a notch some people don't have a choice but to become a king or but to become a leader and rob technically doesn't right like as the eldest son he it's just on him. Yeah. You know, Theon will, will sort of give Rob a little mini lecture about this later. Like, <laughs> right. it's you basically have to defend your right. your house when your father can't, like, Theon lecturing anybody right. on what's, what's right. proper is a little rich. <laughs> but the fact that Rob is choosing yeah. to say, I'll make the appointments. Yeah, like, I'll, I got I'll this. It. It's the first moment where he shows the king that the he will ultimately the, become. The bone deep competency. What about the has. choice that Kat makes to stop being. Just a little, like, a little dream weaver or whatever yeah. she's working on there <laughs> to put by to put by brands. Would you, would you hang that above your bed? I don't know if I would. The seven? Uh, well, you know, a mother's love is one of the most powerful motivators in all of this yeah, show. I, I think I read about that in Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, Kat has had one of her own injured, and she feels that someone else is responsible, and she will stop at nothing much the detriment of her house to... Make those uh, make those things right. Balance those scales. Danny, not a mother yet. Nope. But Danny also makes a key choice yeah. in this episode because Danny chooses to stop being a piece of meat, basically, to find strength in the dragon's eggs. There's that. Uh, man, we're tre- we're treated to many uh, Danny Drogo romps in their <laughs> brief yeah. time together, and there's a scene earlier in the show before they they make a more sincere connection, and she's in distress. Yeah, and it's only when she stares into the distance and her eyes lock onto the dragon eggs that we see a sense of peace yeah. come over her. Something changes in her exactly in that, in that moment, and. After that, she says, I am going to improve my own circumstances. I will not be a victim. She's always been basically her brother's pawn and her brother's plaything. And she prevents herself from becoming that for another man when she gets basically the sexy time lessons from Dorea. Yep. Great stuff. Play with the balls. Great great stuff. Just a a little light-ass play. A little light-ass play. This is really Danny's catalyzing (laughs) moment because she realizes that controlling her body means controlling her entire life. That's a pretty powerful message. Hey, guys. Just a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. Binge Mode is brought to you by DirecTV Now. Live stream your favorite channels on virtually any device. Plus, you can subscribe to HBO and start watching Game of Thrones today. And now, back to binge mode. Meanwhile, Arya really shows you the metal that she has, the the kind of fieriness that she has that reminds so many of the um, elder Starks of 
uh, Liana. Mm -hmm. She chooses to stick up for Micah really in a situation that is treacherous and, you know, very dangerous for her for life. And we see that she's just unwilling to stand aside as the powerful kind of just bulldoze the weak. Um, she's not just going to stand there and watch Joffrey be a bully. The truth matters to her. She she's, will fight to uphold that. Classic moment later on when they're uh, having a little throwdown yeah. in the aftermath and Robert is just like, you let this little girl disarm <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> one of we have to say goodbye, you know, keeping a little R.I.P. tally here in this episode to one of Joffrey's uh. poorly named swords, <laughs> lion's tooth, <laughs> tossed into the river. We barely knew you. Um, you know, whenever we talk about Arya, it's natural to talk about Sansa and the way that Sansa reacts to Joffrey's yeah. sadism. You're ruining everything. <laughs> is such a divergent way from how Arya chooses to handle that situation. Sansa, as she so often is, is is kind of the cautionary tale yeah. of this episode because when she's called to testify, she, you know, it, it's weird because there's almost a temptation, I think, to give her like a little bit of a benefit of the doubt and say, well, right. she didn't just totally throw Arya under the right. bus, but she definitely didn't side with her. She kind of takes the middle path, right? right. I, she pulls the like, uh, I can't yeah. really remember. couldn't really see what happened. It was... It was dark. The yeah. dog ate my homework. You right. know, she's throwing out the excuses. And one of the key takeaways here, and it's an important lesson for people who watch the show and for people who are in the show to learn, is that inaction is a type of action, yeah. and it's a, often a really dangerous type of action because her decision in that moment has dire consequences. You know, she she ends up losing her dire wolf, yeah. right? Because Cersei pulls a fast one at the end. Well, we can't find Nymeria. Better get rid of Lady. But the ripple effect there, that's the first tear in the fabric of Ned and Robert's bond, right? Because Ned can't believe yep. that Robert will allow this. Is this is this the yeah. king's justice? Is this yeah. what this looks like? And it, it, a lot of that is just because Sansa couldn't find the courage to say, this is what happened, this is what is, was right, I'm going to stand up for this. Well, she values, uh, and this is the thing that makes Sansa a tragic character for so much of the of the seasons is that she really values this dream of mm -hmm. of of nobility and royalty and the sweet prince and she values that more than the reality of right. of of the events she and she's unwilling to let go of that you know and even if it means kind of crossing her family a little bit and that's sad it's ultimately one of the things that makes her such a rich yeah. and compelling character. Yeah. But in season one, it's 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 tough. It is very it, tough. I it mean, is she's, a tough look. She's the most, uh, you know, like uh, realistically drawn teenage character of all of them, really. Mm -hmm. You know, because she just likes she likes boys and she likes famous people and she's like <laughs> isn't into the dream. And, right. You know, she wants a new dress. She wants a new hairstyle. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, the other, I think, you could argue sort of realistic teenage character is John. Yes. Sulkin. <laughs> Mopey boy. Pouton. Throwing out that lower lip, always in an emotional <laughs> funk. Why do you read so many books? I love that scene. Yeah. I love that exchange. What's so interesting about John and his agency is John made one of the biggest choices of, of any Huge. character. He decides yeah. to go to the wall. He decides to join the Night's Watch without actually really knowing what he's signing up for. Yeah. And he's basically f quickly comes comes face to face with the gap between the legend of his watch, like right. the mythology, what he what right. he believes, what he is, has been led to believe, right. and the kind of like decrepit 
reality that (laughs) it's uh it's a a dumping ground for scum yeah and that sucks for john in the moment but it's actually another powerful lesson for the characters and the viewers that sometimes you have to make a choice blindly yeah you don't always have the facts and then the question is what do you do with your circumstances we've got some circumstances here (laughs) we do someone who is definitely not blind drogo who looks at danny with uh the fire of a thousand suns and stars during their pivotal love making scene danny sort of takes to the dothraki life like an arak to a rival's gut really sticks to it (laughs) catches on quickly but in order for the listeners to fully appreciate how she is able to adjust so quickly yeah. and just as crucially how her brother Viserys is not able yeah. to make that same adjustment, they have to better understand the hellscape from which those two emerged before dining on cheese with Valerio and Pentos. <laughs> right. So Maester, yes. please assemble the conclave, take us to the Citadel, teach us everything we need to know about Viserys and Danny's time as refugees. So Viserys was the son of the Mad King and Queen Rhaelia, and the first child to survive for them uh, after many, many tries since Rhaegar was born. I think it was something like 17, 18 years. Um, He was about five or six when Robert's Rebellion broke out in 281. At the time, uh, the queen was pregnant with Danny, And so Ares sent them away to Dragonstone, which is the the island uh, to the east of King's Landing. And that's where um, the Targaryens traditionally would set up the heir to the to the kingdom. And show viewers would be would recognize that because that's where Stannis and Melisandre spend their time in coming seasons. Exactly. Robert gave Stannis um, Dragonstone, which was kind of a signal that he's his heir, and it didn't quite turn out that way. Anyway, <laughs> um, once news of the sack of King's Landing and Aerys' death reaches the island, Viserys is proclaimed king by the household there. But things are very tenuous. You know, they've lost the war, and all that the Targaryens are now is everything contained in Dragonstone. Uh, Stannis is, is put in charge of of mustering a fleet that's going to lay siege to Dragonstone. Uh, capture the rest of the Targaryens and send them off to Robert. Um, so, of course, like the the existing Targaryen household is um, realizes that kind of resistance is likely going to mean their deaths. So, plots start being set into motion about how they can open the gates to Stannis and and maybe sell these kids and and get away with a pardon. But Sir Willem Derry, uh, who was the master of arms at the Red Keep, kind of gets wind of uh, that this is going to happen, and with a few. Uh, Loyal men, they scoop up the children and set sail across the narrow sea to Bravos, where they live for you know a couple years until Derry succumbs to some kind of illness. We're not really sure what happened there. Um, at which point, the children are thrown out into the streets and they live a life of basically vagrancy. I mean, here's the heir to the Targaryen regime in Viserys, and he knew that because he was like about five years old before, when you know when the, four or five years old when the when the war broke out, he's carrying this uh, immense weight on him. He's the last dragon as far as he knows. And he's reduced to, to begging in the streets with Danny. And meanwhile, Danny is, you know, the ultimate survivor. Mm-hmm. She's been through stuff. She's 
she's come through much more than being married to Khal Drogo, and she'll come through much more. Um, and she she really draws on those experiences as um, as a source of strength. I have a couple quick questions sure. for you, Maester, if I yeah. may. Uh, during their brief time in Bravos, yeah. did they ever peddle oyster clams and cockles? <laughs> You know, it's a good question. Um, and in fact, like one of the interesting theories, like one of the book um, mentioned, one of the book, the details from the books is that uh, Derry had them set up at the quote house with the red door. Um, mm-hmm. And so there is, there's a lot of hypothesizing about where that house actually is. Is it, is it really in Bravos? Is it in Dorne? Because we know that later uh, Mr. Derry set up a deal with Dorne to do some things that we'll talk about later. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of, we, there's a lot of interesting facts from from their life on the run. Maester. Yes. I- I'd love to, to walk around Essos with you forever. Hey. But it's uh, it's time to head to the Sept to bathe in the light of the Seven by yeah. sharing seven of our favorite insights and observations from this episode. And as always, we will do it lightning round style. Boom. Because we're as quick as Micah was slow. The first thing I'd like to talk about is Danny and Viserys uh, kind of flight to Essos is part of a long tradition of not just Westeroses, but Targaryens specifically fleeing to Essos after just bone crushing defeats. Um, we, we can talk about the Blackfire pretenders from the reign of, of Aegon the Unworthy, who have launched numerous wars to try and reclaim the throne from their kind of like hideaways in Essos. Um, so this is like a cycle that keeps recurring. That's how Jason and I are going to refer to fellow Game of Thrones podcast hosts, <laughs> yeah. the Blackfire Pretenders. Yes. Stay over <laughs> Get there. Get out of here. Dis- stay in the disputed lands, you. <laughs> number two here yeah. for me, really number one in my heart, but number two of the seven, John's parentage is, was, and has always been the thing, yeah. capital T. Central thing. It's impossible not to notice it everywhere in the subtext yeah. of this episode. Kat says to Ned, 17 years ago, you rode yeah. off with Robert Baratheon. You came back a year later with another woman's son. Wasn't he busy fighting some wars yeah. and stuff? There was other stuff that happened in there. Maybe but, take yeah. a, just take a beat here, guys, and think about <laughs> this a little bit. You know, later, Ned says to John, this is this is truly one of the most heartbreaking, yeah. agonizing moments in the entire in the entire 60 episode run of the show and rewatching it now that we have the full clarity of Tower of Joy and what that means. When Ned turns to John Oof. as he's saying farewell before, you know, Ned is going to be heading down to King's Landing. John is going to be heading up to the wall. And he says, the Starks have manned the wall for thousands of years. And you are a Stark. You might not have my name, but you have my blood. Yeah, he does. <laughs> yeah, he does. John, of course, got to just ask that pesky follow up. Is my mother alive? Does she know about me? Where I am? Where I'm going? Does she care? And yeah. then Ned with the all time just dagger in the heart. The next time we see each other, we'll Whoops. talk about your mother. Mm-hmm. I promise. Fuck. Jason. Fuck. Yeah. And then, of course, later when Robert and Ned are enjoying their, their little, there's a lovely picnic on the road. And Robert to Ned about Danny. Oh, it's unspeakable to you, is it? <laughs> what our father did to your family. Now that was unspeakable. What Rhaegar Targaryen did your sister, the woman I loved. I'll kill every Targaryen I get my hands on. Really moving. A moving yeah. rendition yeah, on your you part. That was lovely. But Appreciate again, it. just the, another reminder on the show's part that Lyanna is really the key to it all. All right. Yep. Number three. What do you got? Uh, the Assassin's Dagger. Oh, As yes. uh, Sir Roderick notes is... 
of Valerian steel, which is quite a interesting uh, piece to use as an assassination weapon, uh, given that they are exceedingly rare. There is very, 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 very few of these weapons left in the West, and they are essentially priceless. Also, and they will become very important. That matters, yeah. right? Like uh, every fucking one of these things extremely matters. Extremely important, as they are, as far as we know, the only thing besides fire. Uh, that can kill White Walkers. Yeah, you got to get those obsidian daggers and get those get Valerian them. steel blades, people. Yep. Get on it. Get on it. Number four, for me, oh. you know, I just, I can't help myself. I got to talk about the pups. She, yeah. Where is the homegirl Nymeria? Because when Arya <laughs> throws the little the little pebble yeah. at Nymeria, she's trying, you know, it's a form of place of love. Go be free. She, Arya's, Arya's smart enough to yeah. know what's going to happen to Nymeria if she sticks around after right. Nymeria attacked Joffrey. That was really tough. It's, you know, is that Dances with Wolves? Like, it's just, it's agonizing. It's agonizing when that happens. I cry every time. But here's the thing. Ultimately, it was the right move because Nymeria did not die. And where is she now? The direwolves over the years have dropped yep. like flies, whispers in the books of a massive she-wolf roaming the Riverlands. And the wolf dreams. Don't don't discount the wolf dreams the also. The wolf dreams. And crucially, Arya finally, at the end of season six, back in this part of the world, could a reunion be afoot? It's got to happen. I can't wait. It's all I want in this world. All right. Um, what's th next? There's so much... Rewatching this, there's so much Theon foreshadowing, you know? And it's there's everywhere. that moment where Rob says uh, about the Lannisters, if it's war they want, and Theon uh, with the rejoinder, if it comes to that, you know I'll stand behind you. <sighs> you know? Much like he stands behind Roz. What a greasy dude. What a greasy, greasy dude Theon was. There's Is, really no forgiving that guy. Yeah, Just he laid sucks. out there. Is the ultimate bit of Theon foreshadowing when... Roz says a serious boy with a serious cock. <laughs> For me, another big observation from this episode is the just insane amount of Lannister foreshadowing yep. here yet again, because Jamie and Tyrion are talking about Bran, who is not dead, despite Jamie's best intentions to the contrary. And Jamie says, even if the boy lives, he'd be a cripple, a grotesque. Give me a good, clean death any day. I love this because... Jamie, we know now, becomes the thing that he fears yeah. most. And that's tough. That's a tough break. But it tells us a lot about his character and it helps us understand what his fears are, what his insecurities are, and how he copes with what yeah. eventually happens to him. There's also another great bit during that conversation when Jamie says, my dear brother, there are times you make me wonder whose side you're on. And yeah. Tyrion says, my dear brother, you wound me. You know how much I love my family. Well, we know how all that's going to go. <laughs> and then, you know, there's also the foreshadowing about Cersei's kids. When she's talking to Cad about the son that she and Robert lost, she goes out of the show, has her go out of her way to right. say, little black haired beauty. TM, the seat is strong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, finally, just in terms of Lannister foreshadowing, there's there's the great why do you read so much yes. exchange between John and Tyrion that you hinted at earlier. Just tells us so much about how Tyrion thinks about power and thinks about strength he says i must do my part for the honor of my house wouldn't you agree but how well my brother has a sword and i have my mind and a mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone for Tyrion, the mind is the ultimate weapon yep. and yet oddly juxtaposed against that idea he is really stubbornly opposed to magic to accepting that magic could be back in the world he really actually actively Grumpkins mocks snocks. he mocks john right yep. he's like you're a smart boy yeah you don't believe that nonsense like to him 
intellect and open-mindedness are almost at odds which is is one of the sort of the contradictions in his character that ultimately starts to make him more well-rounded but is a little bit of a hump that he has to overcome you know it's it's interesting uh to think back to when this episode aired and people really got a taste of how absolutely awful joffrey Baratheon what a is bag. as a human being. And so it is so satisfying. And one of the really uh, few truly purely satisfying moments from the early seasons of Game of Thrones is Tyrion waking up in the dog kennel and mm-hmm. bantering with young Joff who doesn't want to go see Bran because... Better looking bitches than you're used to. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Tyrion says, well, you have to go because that's what's expected mm-hmm. of a young royal, especially mm-hmm. one who is going to be king. Uh, and Joffrey whines about it. So Tyrion, you know, slaps him uh, in the face and it's fantastic and it's so gifable and I, I want to watch it right now. And then, of course, the hound who knows Joffrey all too well says, the prince will remember that little lord. And he does. He really does. He really, really, he really does. does. That was a costly slap for Tyrion. I'm sure it felt good in the moment, but yeah. uh, serious repercussions down the road. Yeah. We certainly remember the hound's words and we also remember our darling pups. Each episode, we are going to honor the person or creature who played the game, advanced his or her cause or his or her allies' cause in some tangible way. This week, the winner of this metaphorical joust and by extension, our champion's purse is... The Dire Wolves! They did so much in this episode, and they would do not enough in coming coming episodes. How dare you? Don't <laughs> slander them. They're perfect. I miss them. I miss them so much. What a good episode for the Dire Wolves, Really though. great one. Really great. I mean, obviously, not the best outcome for Lady. No. Very Not tough. the best outcome for Lady, though, even in her, her doom, she gets an, an honorable death. Ned, yes. you know, what does Ned say? She deserves better than a butcher. Yeah. You know, the wolf is of the north. Yeah. Beautiful move by Ned. He did yeah. something right. in his brief time with us. It's also no accident that Bran and the Wolves, who will be so closely linked throughout the series, are so closely linked in this final scene of the episode because Bran opens his eyes the second that Lady dies. And it's, again, the show's way of sort of subtly priming us to accept Bran's Three-Eyed Raven future and ability to connect with the wolves and other living creatures in a truly special way that we will come to learn is is unrivaled. And so even in even in her final moments, Lady found a way to contribute in a great way. And then, of course, Nymeria, just an active <laughs> at high P.E.R. for Nymeria <laughs> in this episode. Nymeria got in her licks. She took a bite. Took Joffrey's a lucky to be. Let's, Joffrey's lucky to have an arm. It's true. As he'll tell anyone who will listen. <laughs> yeah. His little boo-boo. Just that yeah. pesky boo-boo. Needs his mommy to help him with his boo-boo. Man, he sucks. <laughs> But Nymeria yeah. stood up and defended Arya, defended her person. Beautiful moment, amazing move. She was also savvy enough to understand what Arya was telling her to do and to yep. go and to be free and to continue her life and hopefully allow herself to then come back and be a useful ally at the end. And then, of course, Summer. Summer does not have a name yet at this right. point, but you know what he has? 
an assassin's throat in his Absolutely. teeth. Absolutely. Little flecks of flesh still stuck in the gums and stuff. I just love the way he's like ready for a nap right yeah, after. Yeah, he kind of sniffs. He jumps up and sniffs at little Bran and then sees that he's okay and then just kind of settles yeah, down. Yeah, it's like, you know, dudes need a cigarette after sex and yeah. Summer, needs a, Summer needs a little snuggle in bed after killing a would-be assassin. And we should mention also that... Um, the Stark's relationship with these direwolves would be something of note to everyone around. This mm-hmm. would be amazing to people because, exactly. first of all, these uh, animals were not are not supposed to be around right. anymore. And then to be actually the sigil of the house Stark. And then for these kids to have this relationship with them, this would be something that people would talk about. This would be widely known. We go very quickly from... There, hey, what? There aren't direwolves south of the wall right. to these animals are literally saving yeah. lives, removing enemies, eliminating threats, yeah. allowing the Stark children to continue to thrive before <laughs> their eventual doom. Yeah. So really handy. Guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for Thank chewing you. on the horse jerky with us today. <laughs> We hope that you had as much fun as we did and that you'll join us again next time when we will be discussing season one, episode three, Lord Snow. Lord Snow. The next time we see each other, we'll talk about your mother. hmm? (laughs) I promise. You promise? (laughs) I promise. What was the name of yours? Meryl? Willa? A little bit of Monica in my life? Was that it, Ned? Mmm. The hips. Like an aurochs. Sturdy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>